bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, November 8, 2016. Happy Election Day. Now this week does mark 38 years since President Jimmy Carter signed legislation that created the first tax credit for the rehabilitation of older buildings. The Revenue Act of 1978 added a 10% tax credit for commercial buildings. There were some minimum requirements, though. The buildings had to be at least 20 years old and retain at least 75% of existing walls. Now turning to podcast news, in our general section today, it won't come as a surprise, I'll talk about the election. More specifically, how many congressional seats are up for election today, who's not seeking re-election, and how today's results could shake up congressional committee assignments. Then turning to our low-income housing tax rate section, I'll share news about Novigrad and Company's mapping tool with updated information on difficult development areas and qualified census tracts. Then I'll discuss a sign-on letter that a group of public housing authorities is circulating in support of expanding HUD's rental assistance demonstration program. And in state housing news, I have an update on Nebraska's newly created state low-income housing tax credit. In new markets tax credit news, I'll have the latest Qualified Equity Investment Issues Report details. In our historic tax credit section, we'll have some more news from Nebraska. This time, it's an economic progress report on the state's historic tax credit program. And I'll close out with renewable energy tax credit news, where I'll discuss an important court decision regarding wind project partners and their claim to Section 1603 cash grants. If you're ready, let's get started. Today is November 8th. It's Election Day. It's the first Tuesday after the first Monday of November. And under that determination of when Election Day is, November 8th is as late in the month of November as an Election Day can be. Now, in addition to the presidential race, voters will elect the members of the 114th Congress. In the House of Representatives, elections are being held for all 435 seats. And as it stands today, before the election, the House has 246 Republicans and 186 Democrats. There are no independents, but there are three vacancies. Two of those vacancies were formerly held by Democrats, and one was formerly held by a Republican. The number of incumbents not seeking re-election to the House, or otherwise not returning to the House in the next Congress, are 19 Democrats and 27 Republicans. Of these incumbents not returning to the House, there are four members of the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee, two of which are running for the Senate, Charles Bustanian of Louisiana and Todd Young of Indiana. And then the other two are retiring. They're Charlie Rangel of New York and Jim McDermott of Washington. Turning to the Senate, there are 34 seats up for election. Now, the current makeup of the Senate is 54 Republicans, 44 Democrats, and two independents. And those independents typically vote with the Democrats. There are three Democrats and two Republicans that did not seek re-election. Barbara Boxer of California, Barbara Mikulski of Maryland, and Harry Reid of Nevada are the Democrats. 
and the two Republicans, Dan Coates of Indiana and David Vitter of Louisiana. Now, Senator Coates is a member of the Tax Writing Senate Finance Committee, and about half of Senator Coates' committee member Republican colleagues are up for re-election. But according to recent polls, only Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina and Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania are at risk of losing the re-election race. Regarding control of the House and Senate, in order for the Democrats to win control of the House, they would need to gain, on a net basis, 30 seats. Now this is possible, but recent polls suggest it's unlikely. However, for the Democrats to win the majority of the Senate, they would only need to gain a net of four seats. That's if Clinton is elected president. They'd have to gain five seats if Donald Trump is elected president. And recent polling suggests a net gain for Democrats of three to six seats, which means a Democratic Senate is certainly quite possible, but it's not a foregone conclusion. I think it's worth noting that if the Democrats do gain only four seats and Secretary Clinton is elected president, then the Democrats would have a 50-50 split in the Senate with the Republicans. However, Senator Tim Kaine would become vice president and he would become the tie-breaking vote. However, Senator Kaine's seat would be replaced by an appointee from Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, and that seat would be up for election in November of 2017, in which event the control of the U.S. Senate would hinge on the results of that election in 2017. So if you think elections are over for the U.S. Senate, in 2016, or at least control of the Senate will be determined now, and we won't have to worry again until 2018, you might be wrong. The outcomes of the congressional races will also affect congressional committee assignments, as well as committee leadership. Voters in 12 states will also elect their governors, and in seven of those states, the incumbent's not seeking re-election. The governor's not seeking re-election, as you know, probably, include Indiana's Mike Pence who is, of course, the running mate of Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump. I will have an election breakdown of the results and potential consequences for federal and state tax credits in our podcast next week, as well as in the next edition of the Journal of Tax Credits. And as you probably also can surmise, I will be tweeting quite frequently on various results from the election and what those consequences could be. My handle is at Novogratik. I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. In affordable housing news, I want to be sure that you know that Novogratz and Company has a free online mapping tool for difficult development areas and qualified census tracts, or what are often referred to as DDAs and QCTs. These are areas designated by HUD to qualify for a boost above the 30% ineligible basis for low-income housing tax credit developments. And that boost can lead to a larger tax credit allocation, in turn, more tax credit equity. Our mapping tool lets you search and browse the DDAs and QCTs based on their 2017 designation. You can see the boundaries and changes from last year to help you make decisions. As you know, this is the second year of a change in DDA designations in metropolitan areas. Those areas, which are now called Small Area DDAs, or SA DDAs, are now divided by zip codes rather than counties. That makes our DDA and QCT mapping tool especially valuable to help you distinguish areas within a larger metro region. As you use the tool, remember that 2017 numbers become effective January 1st. 
And let me add a caveat. Our mapping tool is for informational purposes only. Official determination of DDAs and QCTs should be based on HUD's official mapping tool. But I encourage you to check out our mapping tool to help you research your opportunities. It's available at www.taxcredithousing.com. You can also read more about the tool and the news designations at my notes from the Novogratic blog. And if you have any questions about how DDA or QCT designations affect your development proposals, please contact my partner, Thomas Stagg, in our Seattle office. In other affordable housing news, a recently formed collaborative is pushing to extend and expand HUD's Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. RAD Collaborative was created by the Council of Large Public Housing Authorities in order to preserve and revitalize the nation's public housing stock to benefit residents and surrounding communities. The RAD Collaborative circulated a sign-on letter urging Congress to support the expansion of RAD as approved by the Senate in its fiscal year 2017 appropriations bill for HUD. The Senate version of the fiscal year 2017 appropriations request increases the current cap in the number of public housing units allowed to participate in RAD to 250,000 units. The current cap of 185,000 units has already been fully allocated. The Senate proposal would also eliminate the 2018 sunset provision for conversions. Per the sign-on letter, this will allow agencies executing large portfolio conversions more realistic time frames for doing so. The Senate version also extends RAD's authority to the nation's privately owned and managed elderly housing stock under the Section 202 program that use project rental assistance contracts. The RAD program allows housing authorities to leverage private capital through a variety of financing tools available to all other forms of affordable housing. To date, RAD has generated more than $2.4 billion in additional capital funding across nearly 40,000 units, which helps housing authorities address the problem of affordable rental housing. Now, the RAD Collaborative said that if repair needs do go unmet, then the properties in need of repair could end up being demolished, and that could lead to the demolition of more than 10,000 public housing units each year across the country. The RAD Collaborative did not have a set deadline for signing the letter, but they did say that it would be sent to Congress as time allows. In state news, the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority released a memorandum recently that has a few updates about the Nebraska Affordable Housing Tax Credit. As I mentioned in a past episode of the podcast, Nebraska passed a bill that created a state tax credit program during this year's session. The credit is equal to the amount of a development's federal low-income housing tax credit award. The state credit is available for developments placed in service after January 1, 2018. The credit may first be claimed for taxpayers beginning on or after January 1, 2019. According to the memorandum, the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority has had several meetings with representatives of the governor's office and the Department of Revenue regarding the implementation of the state credit. More meetings are scheduled with the Department of Revenue to clarify certain aspects of the credit, implement the process of coordination of the two offices, and to develop various online forms. At this time, the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority is not recommending the introduction of legislation in 2017 with respect to the state credit. That being said, it will work to implement clarifications to resolve uncertainties in the allocation of state credit through the normal Qualified Allocation or QAP process. An amendment to the QAP for 2017, once developed through this process, will provide for the application and allocation of the state credit. 
integrating the allocation of state credit into a combined federal and state allocation process. The amended QAP will then be submitted for the governor's approval. Now, to allow for the timely discussion and consideration of the state tax credit, the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority will propose moving the first 2017 federal and state local housing tax credit round to March or April of 2017. If you want to learn more about local housing tax credit programs in your state, please contact a Nebraska partner near you. In new markets tax credit news, while we all await the announcement of the next round of new market tax credit awards, I want to note that the CDFI fund has released its updated monthly Qualified Equity Investment Issues Report, or QEI report. The report identifies the total dollar amount finalized by new market tax credit allocatees over the prior month, as well as the amount that remains to be issued. The CDFI fund has said that more than $79 million in allocation authority was issued in October. That brings the total amount allocated since the beginning of the program to nearly $42.5 billion. Now, as of the report's date, November 1, the amount of new market tax credit allocation authority still available is slightly more than $1 billion. And as we've noted in previous podcasts, that amount is likely already unofficially committed. Other than last month, when $1.1 billion was remaining to be issued, the last time the allocation authority available was anywhere near this low was in June of 2015, when the amount remaining was $1.18 billion. However, as I noted earlier, we are awaiting the next round of awards, which will give an historically large boost, a $7 billion boost, to the amount of available new market tax credit allocation authority. So, the CDFF has said it will make an announcement in, the, in late 2016 of those awards, and I think it's a good bet that we'll get those awards out next week or the week after that. If you want to receive breaking news alerts on the new market tax allocations and the awards, go to www.novaco.com and sign up for our email news alerts. They're free. In historic rehabilitation news, a study shows that state historic tax credit in Nebraska has generated nearly $80 million in economic activity and more than 1,000 jobs, and that's only in 2015, its first year. The study was performed by the Bureau of Business Research at the University of Nebraska, which was asked to do so by the Nebraska State Historical Society. You may recall Nebraska passed its Job Creation and Main Street Revitalization Act in 2015. The Nebraska State Historic Tax Credit, created by that act, allows $15 million in credits for each calendar year through the year 2022. There's a 20% credit for eligible expenditures with a limit of $1 million per project. The study was based on the first 13 projects completed under the program. The study found that the historic tax credit projects in Nebraska created $35 million in wages for Nebraska workers, $45 million being added to the state's gross state product, and the projects leveraged more than $3 million in state and local taxes. Several 2015 projects were not completed in time for the study, nor were any of the 2016 projects. The authors of the study indicated that they expect the numbers to expand as more projects are completed. The 2017 round of credits will be awarded to applications received after January 3rd. This Nebraska study confirms what we already know. State tax credits not only get rehabilitation completed, but they boost local and state economic activity. Now, if you have any questions about your historic tax credit property in Nebraska or anywhere, contact my partner Tom Bosha in our Cleveland office. In renewable energy tax credit news, 
There's been a significant court decision. It came late October from the Court of Federal Claims, and it concerns Section 1603 cash grants. Those grants, as you know, were part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009. That act created Section 1603, which allowed the government to issue cash grants in lieu of investment tax credits for renewable energy developments. This provision was connected due to difficulty in finding tax equity investors because of the Great Recession. Almost $25 billion in cash grants were awarded by the Treasury Department under the Section 1603 program, which generally required projects to be online by the end of 2012. Now, the case in question involved the Alta Wind development in California's Mojave Desert. Several partners in the project filed suit after the Treasury Department awarded them $488 million in Section 1603 grants back in 2011. The investors, though, expected and thought they deserved more. They had applied for the 30% cash grants based on what they had paid to purchase the wind farms. But Treasury based its cash grant awards on how much it cost the prior owner to build the farms, arguing that the structure of the deal led to an inflated purchase price. When the partners filed the lawsuit, the Treasury Department countersued them, claiming that the partners actually had been overpaid by $59 million, and they demanded that Treasury be repaid. Well, the Court of Federal Claims issued its ruling in late October, and it was good news for the renewable energy industry, particularly Section 1603 investors. The ruling awarded the partners more than $206 million in additional cash grants, and the judgment lists 21 parties who will receive amounts ranging from $6 million to $38 million. Of course, the Treasury Department has 59 days to exercise the option of appealing the case to the Federal Circuit Court. But the fact that the court ruled that the cash grant should be based on the purchase price will likely encourage other project owners who felt they were shortchanged by Treasury for their Section 1603 cash grants. Interestingly, while this verdict concerns a wind energy project, most observers expect the majority of Section 1603 claims to come from solar projects. That's because most wind projects claim the Section 45 production tax credit, which is calculated based on electricity production and not the fair market value of the project. My partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office, says that while this ruling applies to the Section 1603 program, it could likely be helpful beyond that. That's because the opinion should provide guidance about how to calculate the value of property covered by the investment tax credit. If this judgment stands, it'll be good news for investors because the fair market value of properties is almost always more than the construction costs. Now, if you have any questions about your investment tax credit property, please call Stephen Tracy in our San Francisco office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. And please, follow me on Twitter throughout the day and through the week. My handle is at Novogratik. I will be tweeting about the results from the election and its possible impact on various tax credit areas. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.